0: Now, we've been talking a lot lately about hope. We've been learning about what hope is, what it looks like, how to receive it, how to maintain it, right? Because that test of time, that makes it, you know, the most challenging thing to do is to hold on to hope. And allow that to be that placeholder until, uh, you know, everyone of God's promises are fulfilled in our lives. It can be challenging uh, when we're, uh, you know, forced to wait in eager expectation week after week, right? Um, But this week, I'm going to kind of pass on something to you. This might be not, not at all a new revelation to you. It should not have been new to me, but I never really thought about it this way. Because usually when I think about hope, I think about circumstances that are outside of our control. If I'm in, in need of hope of something, it's because, you know, life just let me down or somebody let me down, you know, and, and you're just left lacking. You know, it's just a, by, by no choice of your own, basically, something happened and you're left waiting in hope. Um, however, that's not necessarily uh, the only time when we need to put our hope in God. Now, we know that we have to do that at all times. But a scenario that I never really considered to be a time when we should choose Hope is a time when we are left in need because of our own bonehead decisions. Right? When I sin, when I act wrongly, and and, and I just you know suffer the consequences. Uh, When when I choose to act in rebellion, or or whatever the case might be, and I'm just suffering the consequences for it—the natural consequences of my decisions—I always feel like, well, I'm just getting what I deserve, right? I mean, I'm the one that went and you know spent this week's lunch money on, you know, uh, you know the, the, the snack you know, cart that came around, and so I'm left hungry because it's just my own bonehead decision, right? However, God wants us to hope in Him even in those places. Um, you know, because I often thought, why would I put my hope in God to undo the very consequences that He put in place, right? Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. When I make a bad decision... Consequences follow. They always do. And I love that consequences follow good decisions. Reward, right? We never think about it that way. You know, there are rewards. There are consequences when I make good decisions. But when I'm just suffering, you know, the, 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 uh, the consequences of a foolish decision I made, I never really thought about turning to God in hope that he would bring breakthrough even in those situations. Um, You know, and so as I was praying about the message this morning, God had taken me through all kinds of the Old Testament. I didn't really understand what he was, uh, you know, showing me and what he was teaching until I, you know, kind of put it in light of this. Because when we sin against God, God brings consequences for those decisions, right? We, we miss the mark. Either we do what we're not supposed to do or we don't do what we are supposed to do. We sin and we all do it. Um, God brings about consequences. Um, it's just part of living in the natural world that he created. What do we often do after the consequences come? We kind of, well, it's, you know, yeah, I did that, but we excuse it away. There's some reason that I did that. Or there, you know, it was so-and-so made me do it. You know, the devil made me do it. We love saying that one, right? And we don't really accept responsibility for it at first. Now, as you mature as a believer, prayerfully, that season comes to an end quicker and quicker and quicker in your life. And you come to your senses and you repent. Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I should have never done that. Or you were, you know, you were leading me to do this thing and I didn't and I missed it. Please forgive me. The sooner that we, we ask the Lord to forgive, us and we repent, and we 're like, Lord, next time, give me another chance, give me an opportunity, give me you know another a chance to, to uh, set things straight that 's repentance God he always responds with forgiveness and restoration. He, he just always does. but we see this cycle happening in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Israel turns away from God or the nation of Judah, they turn away from God, they start doing their own thing, they start worshiping idols or whatever the case might be and God just is kinda like okay then you make your decisions, here's the consequences. And they would get drug off into exile into other nations, right? And it just, but this didn't happen just one time. This happened over and over and over again. I mean, we talk about the Israelites wandering in the desert with Moses, you know, for, for decades they wandered and they never received the promises of God. Why? Because they just refused to just trust Him and to enter in. It's really that simple. Just trusting Him and entering into those promises. And this awful cycle, it happens over and over again, still to day. Now, it doesn't necessarily happen on the national scale that we see it with the case of God's people being a theocracy, but we definitely see it on a personal scale, and we're starting to see it on a national scale, right? But personally speaking, how many times do we go through this vicious cycle over and over and over again? We just can't seem to get it right, right? And so, if we maintain this mindset that I'd always carried regarding seasons of discipline, this is not a fun thing to preach about, it's not a fun thing to live through, If you look at discipline as I'm just getting what I deserve, and this is just, you know, God's lot for my life, and you just kind of wallow in it, you're missing the point, completely missing the point. You're missing out on the love that God is expressing through those seasons, and you're never going to be able to break this cycle or you get caught in it. Some have dismissed this cycle as living under the old covenant, you know, that when Jesus came and he fulfilled it all, we don't get caught in this, but it's, it's true. We, we still live this way. God is still God, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and and he still brings consequences for us, for our own good, to teach us, all right? We learn about this in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to start in verse 7, and we are called here to endure hardship as discipline, God's treating you as his children. We love being children of God because we're princes and princesses and have full access to the entire kingdom of God, right? We love seeking after the treasures of God and the revelation of God and, you know, identifying as a child of God. But to receive all the benefits, you also have to receive the love of God in the form of discipline. He said, for what children were not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone goes through discipline, then you are not legitimate, true sons and daughters at all. If you don't see this cycle in your life of I I done screwed up and consequences come and I got to repent, then you gotta, you got to really seek out where your relationship's at with God. Maybe it's grown cold. Maybe you've wandered from him and not even realized it if you're not seeing that cycle happen in your life at all. Because Paul teaches us that, that we all go through that. If we're legitimate sons and daughters of God, we're going to go through that cycle. We're going to go through those seasons of discipline. In verse 9 he says, Moreover, we all had human fathers that disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, and as they thought best. They didn't always discipline perfectly, right? I don't always discipline my kids when I should and how I should, right? We screw up sometimes. They do as they think best. It says, but God disciplines us for our good, He's a perfect heavenly father who loves us perfectly. So his discipline is always appropriate. It's always, uh, you know, for our good. And it's hard to look at discipline as that way sometimes. But it says here in the word of God that God disciplines us for our own good so that we may share in his holiness. So that we can be set apart for God. His discipline actually leads us to holiness. Getting set apart for his purposes. Um... In verse 11 he reminds us of this truth and we can all amend that that no discipline seems pleasant at the time it's painful however later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it if your life is lacking peace it 's a fruit of the spirit. Sometimes that fruit is grown through seasons of discipline, and we 're going to see that in a little bit here. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms, strengthen your weak knees, and make level paths for your feet you 've got a, a part to play in this. We have decisions to make. And it says, so that, so that we may be not disabled but rather healed. The discipline of the Lord can actually result in healing, healing. So as we choose to be trained by discipline, we can and we actually should turn to God in hope. Even though he brought the consequences that we're going through. He brought that season of discipline we're going through. If we turn to God and put our hope in him in that season. He'll bring it to an end. He'll work it together for our good. He will build us up and not tear us down. He will bring healing and restoration. The quicker we learn to turn back to him the quicker that our healing and our restoration and our strength and our deliverance will come. Because that is the purpose of discipline. It's to turn our hearts back to God, not to drive us away from Him. The purpose of discipline is to strengthen us, not to break us. The purpose of discipline is to produce righteousness and peace Not to prove our unrighteousness, not to put us down, and not to produce chaos, it is to produce peace. And so we're learning this morning again how to put our hope in God and how to make him our refuge, even when we've blown it, even when we've sinned against him and we've screwed up. We're going to learn how to enter into that safe covering. Because when we look at the world around us that God created, God created everything with boundaries, boundaries are good, they are healthy, um, they are awesome. I mean, if you think about some of the blessing uh, the blessings of the boundaries of our natural world it 's amazing. it creates a natural refuge for us so that we can actually exist. It created the earth to spin at just the right speed so that gravity keeps us down on the ground, but doesn't crush us, and we don't go floating off to space, all right? He created the earth to, to, to uh, maintain a safe distance around the sun so that we don't freeze to death and we're not burned up. And it's such a fine balance. Look at our north and south Pole. I mean, if you go just that little distance in the course of, you know, when you think of the, uh, you know, the vastness of space, if you just go that little distance, you'll freeze to death, it's amazing. It, 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 that boundary is in place. He created the atmosphere around us so we have all the gases that we need to breathe, right? So that the, the vacuum of space doesn't crush our lungs. He created that boundary between space and he created that atmosphere. He set boundaries between the water and the dry ground. And we all know what happens when those boundaries are crossed, right? You look at some of the tsunamis and whatnot that have happened. Destruction takes place, um, You know, he set those boundaries so we can drink when we're thirsty and uh, we don't drown, you know, otherwise. And the list goes on and on and on. Boundaries are good. We see these natural boundaries and we can respect them and honor them, right? We, We see the goodness in them. But God also gave us moral boundaries in life. And we don't always see those boundaries as being good, we see God as being a big fun sucker that just wants to keep us from having a good time sometimes, right? We don't see the goodness and the healthiness in those moral boundaries. And we love to skirt that line, don't we? We like to live just like that. Our tippy-toes right on the edge of where, how far can I get away without calling it sin, right? You know? Um, and I we could go on and on and on the list of some of the things that we do, even as believers, you know? And we ought to know better. But we need to see goodness in those boundaries and not keep our tippy-toes right on the edge. Of it, stay back in safety, right? We see them as hindering us. They're limiting us in some way, and we don't see them as giving us an abundance of life and and a fullness of life that you can actually enjoy life with. No, all the consequences are good when you're staying in your boundaries, right? It's all reward, it's all blessing. Remember in Deuteronomy, God said, I'm setting before you today life or death, blessing or curses. It's our choice. We can choose where we're going to live. When it comes to uh, those boundaries, those moral boundaries that God has given us in his word. But why do we do this? Why do we run away from the protection of God? I mean, he is a refuge. And he has, like, you read in the word about all the abundant blessings that God wants to give us. Why in the world would we choose to walk outside of that refuge? Why do we choose to walk out from the protection of God? Because that's really what sin is. It's just walking out away from his protection. It's walking over that boundary and you keep going. Why do we do this? Why do we choose to walk away from something that is so good? Sometimes the reality is you just don't know that you're living in the good old days. when you're living in them, do you? Right? Right? Amen? I mean, you just don't realize it. It's not until they're gone that you realize how good you truly had it, right? You know, it's not in these days we're living in, it's so obvious, you know. You, you don't realize in value, and at the men's breakfast, we talk about treasuring things. There's so many things that this crazy coronavirus, you know, thing has caused that you, you just took advantage of. That you didn't really treasure. I never treasured toilet paper until I couldn't get any. Then I treasured that role, right? You know, I, I didn't keep grabbing and grabbing. I, I You know, I... Use what you need, and that's it, you know? <laughs> sometimes we just, we don't realize how good we have it, right? Until it's taken away. And that is often what the Lord does. Remember Job? He praised God. He fell down his face in worship, and he praised the God who both gives and takes away. And sometimes that's how the Lord disciplines us, just removing Something. And trust me, all that the Lord has to do is just remove a feather of his protection and covering and you're going to feel the weight of how fallen this world truly is. Sometimes you just don't know what you've got till it's gone. And what happens is that the the enemy tempts us, right? The devil is the tempter. God never tempts us to sin. The enemy always does. And, And he just draws us out to that boundary, you know, my, my Megan, she loves animals, and she is very good at tempting animals to follow her, right? They don't know what they're getting into, but, you know, you you, just, you dangle that carrot. You have that fresh blade of grass, and, you know, that's what he does. He's like, this is good. This is better than what God has. And, and he tempts you to go away from that protection and that covering. You know, we've heard temptation being described as, you know, the grass being greener on the other side, right? That's the, the cliche. However, we know the truth. We know the truth that the grass is always greener where you feed the soil, uh, where you sow the seed, where you water it, where you nurture its growth, where you protect it from weeds and destructive bugs, right, you know. Um, In Mine, I lived beside a retired guy and man did he maintain his lawn. Like every day he's out there, you know, with his Scots, you know, feeding it and fertilizing it and, uh, you know, and, and man his yard compared to mine yeah, you know, I felt bad sometimes, I actually apologized to him a couple of times because he puts all his hard work into his lawn and there's mine, it's lucky if it gets cut a week you know um, but we know that truth, it's easy to understand this, but it's hard when you're living it out it is hard not to see the grass is greener on the other side, whenever you're in a challenging relationship, and you feel like you're putting the work into it, but it's just not going right, it's just not growing, people just aren't responding the way that you want, because we can't control anybody, can we? You can't control. I can't control that grass. I can't grab a blade and make it green and lush and tall, right? I just can't. You can't do that. All that you can do is the hard, hard work of faith. You're doing all the hard work and you're seeing nothing happen, right? But in due time, man, does it produce that harvest, righteousness and peace, It produces a relationship that can't be shaken or moved when you put the hard work into it, even when you're not seeing the results. That's hope. That's faith. That's what it looks like. Then you have the grass that is greener that everyone else is jealous of, you know? And you can just be like, neater neater, you know, it's fine. I worked hard for this thing and you're not getting it. (laughs) It goes on and on and on with everything in life. So just like last week, you guys remember a picture of my chewy little puppy dog of what hope looks like? You know, I was going to uh, an appointment early in the morning to get my knee, sinuses, you know, all sucked out again. I, I do not like that process. Every Thursday in the morning, I go to uh, get that done. But you know, I'm praying about it, praying about it. And I didn't know that what God was giving me, you know, for the message yet. I'm just going through all these Old Testament cycles, and, and then I drive up on this scene, this this cute little cow. Right here's this cow standing on the outside of the fence, and right by the fence, just on the outside of it. Her tail's just wagging, she's happy as can be, chowing down on that tall grass, right? Because the township hadn't mowed it recently. Um, she had no idea what she was really doing. And whenever I drove up with my car, because actually when I drove up, she was standing in the middle of the road eating the grass. When I drove up to her, she just picks up her head and just looks at me puts it back down and keeps eating, you know, could care less that this big old, you know, SUV just was coming right at her. She was completely unaware and ignorant of the danger that she was in. All that she knew is that grass was greener. and It was tasting pretty good, right? And, and, and she, her attention and her focus was on that temptation. She had no idea the danger that she was truly in at all. And, and she saw the fence, but she simply saw it, right, as a hindrance to her getting to that grass. Now, how often are we like, like her, this cow, when it comes to the moral boundaries of God? We, we think, we, you know, we, we think that we're tempted and we think that the grass is greener. So we go out. We cross that boundary and we're eating the grass. And we're like, why didn't die? Like Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit. Like, oh. All right, we're okay. Well, we're naked, but, you know, we didn't die. (laughs) Right? That was their response. Little did they know that they did die, you know? And that's the thing about sin. It always leads to death. This cow didn't realize the danger she was in until like, you know, a a gas rig would have come around that bend and not been able to stop in time. Then she would have been understanding that crossing that boundary was a bad thing, right? And isn't that us in life? Even as believers, we skirt that boundary, we cross it, and we cross it many times, and we don't think a thing of it until, bam, we get busted. Then comes the sorrow and the repentance, right? Why do we always have to get busted? I talk to this with my teens all the time. Why is it that dad always has to bust you before you feel bad about what you did? You know, the Spirit's not giving you a heart of repentance. You're just sad that you got busted, not sad for what you're doing wrong, right? I have to have that conversation with myself all the time too. (laughs) Why are we like this? And so we're going to turn to Ezekiel today. And if you want to get ahead of me, Ezekiel uh, chapter 33. Um... I do apologize. It might be a little longer, but it's going to be good. Ezekiel, he was a priest. He was about 30 years old, and he hung out with guys like Daniel. And as we well know, if you know your, you know, your Bible at all, if you've read through the Old Testament, um, they got taken away into exile. You've heard about Rakshak and Benny, right? I like the VeggieTales version of the fiery furnace better. Uh, you've heard about them. Well, Ezekiel was actually one of the men. He was a priest of God who was also taken off into exile during that time into Babylon. Um, This happened around 597 BC, so yeah, a long, long time ago in a far, far away land of uh, Israel. Ezekiel was sent to be a prophet. Ezekiel didn't get taken into the, um, into the service of the king the way that the other, uh, the other priests did. Rather, Ezekiel was, was taken away, and he was kind of free to live his life. He, he, you know, he, they were um, taken into slavery, but he wasn't truly a slave in the service of anybody. He was sort of free to do his thing, and God had a purpose in that. Not so that he lived a less stressful life than, um, than the others that were taken away. In fact, God had a harder calling in his life, similar to Paul in the New Testament, God, how would you like this prophetic word? God said, you're going to find out just how much you have to suffer for my name. It was a similar anointing that Ezekiel carried. He was called and he was essentially a street preacher. But God didn't send him out to um, the Babylonians, out to a a foreign nation of uh, people who couldn't speak his language. Um, God didn't take him into Babylon to preach to the Babylonians. God took Ezekiel into Babylon and spared his life and gave him freedom in that nation to preach to the people of God. And I think that in the United States church, we need some evangelists inside the walls of the church. We need to understand our true condition. It's not good in many, many cases. We're missing it so often. And that's what Ezekiel's anointing was. God warned Ezekiel that he was being sent to a rebellious, obstinate, stubborn people, his own people. He was to ignore the threats of their life and he was to preach the word of God, but he was warned most of them aren't gonna listen to you. They're going to try to kill you. Yet preach the word and just trust me. What, what kind of, man, I, I don't want that kind of ministry. That's not a fun ministry, is it? Yeah, everyone's going to hate you and oppose you, but you just keep doing it. And he gave him some, you want to talk about Pentecost in the Old Testament. He gave him some flaky things to do. Some weird prophetic acts to do, you know. I mean, it just, uh, I won't go into all the details of all those. Read in Ezekiel. You'll, you'll find them. But God's people had sinned against God. And he put up with it for a long time. And finally, he's like, enough is enough. He just removed his protection. That's all God did. And the enemy came rushing in, stole everything, destroyed the temple, carried off all the gold and bronze and everything valuable, melted it down, you know. They took it to the scrapyard, (laughs) literally, of that day. I mean, just all these holy things that were set apart. And the enemy just came in and destroyed it. They had no care or concern for. like, whoa, this is a pretty fancy spoon. I'm going to melt that down and make myself an earring, you know. It's basically what they did. And God's people, his priests, his prophets, they were watching this happen. And I'm sure it killed them, not understanding what was going on. They, but God's people were just like that cow. They didn't realize what was happening and, and whatnot. They didn't see that they had crossed that moral boundary. They didn't see that they were in a state of sin. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't. We're not aware of our own conditions too often. Now, being a spirit-filled believer, we ought to be quick to recognize when we stirred up and when we need to repent, but so often, man, we live our lives for years dabbling in the same thing and not realizing that we're in bondage, not realizing that we're not free because you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Sometimes we don't understand the, the freedom that we're missing out on because we've been bound for so long and we've just gotten used to it, right? Think about, a, you know, a fox caught in a foot trap. As long as he's got food and water there and he doesn't try to run away from that trap, life's good. He doesn't know that he's in a snare. He doesn't understand he's in bondage, right? It's not until you try to get out of that that you realize, whoa, wait a second, something's got a hold of me here, right? You know, we need to be aware of these things. Ezekiel was sent to them to set the record straight, to remind them that they were in Babylon, in exile, that their lives had gotten destroyed because of their own choices, because of their own choices. They walked out under, from under the refuge of God. His initial message through the first several chapters, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. He contradicted the false prophets that were floating around the nation, saying that peace is coming. There were false prophets that were saying the walls of Jerusalem, they're, getting, they're going to be rebuilt quickly, right? They were saying all these awesome, nice things that their time in exile is going to be short. And here comes Ezekiel saying, Jerusalem, it's going to be destroyed there's not going to be anything left standing. They didn't want to hear that, so they listened to what their their tickling ears want to hear, right? This happens every election season, right? We like to listen to the prophets that tell us that our guy is the anointed, chosen one of God, right? We just love those prophecies. We we need to listen to the true word of God, and Ezekiel was not saying what they wanted to hear, so they didn't like it, but it was what God was speaking. It would be like me telling that cow that a huge truck's coming, and it's going to die soon, and it's just like, whatever, and it just keeps chewing away, right, you know? It doesn't believe me and it doesn't care and it doesn't see the danger. Ezekiel is calling God's people to repent, which means to turn. It means to change the way that you see something, the way that you think about something. It means to change your ways because what you think is what you do. What you think is what you are. We got to change or our, our, be renewed by the spirit in our minds and the way that we think. And that's what repentance is. Change the way you think about something. Realize, wait a second. This thing this thing is bondage. I'm not free, you know. It, it opens your eyes to see your true condition and your true state. They were being called to repent, to turn back to God, and if they were to do that, he'd deliver them. You know, myself because I don't know, I'm soft-hearted or something. I got out of the car and I tried to get that cow back into the fence, and man, is that a chore. What <laughs> <laughs> When that cow is content where it's at, and it's probably weighing a good seven, 800 pounds, and, you know, maybe <clears throat> two. Um, a <laughs> little heavier than ought to be, but not quite as much. I'm not going to be able to force that thing to move. The I couldn't coax it back into safety. You know what it took? It took a shove and some yelling. And the only reason it moved is because it... It was annoyed by me screaming at it, you know? <laughs> That's what it took, right? It didn't see me as raising the alarm trying to take it back to safety. It saw me as just being annoying and trying to get me away, get it away from that lush grass, right? Why are we like that? You know, we, we, people warn us about, you know, things that we're doing, and we're just like, whatever, you're just a bunch of noise. You know, go tell someone else how to live their life. You know, I don't want to hear it. We don't see the goodness in it. We don't see the goodness of it. And sometimes that's what it takes to get God's people's attention too. It shouldn't take that, but sometimes it does. When that happened, when Ezekiel came and he raised the alarm, and they finally saw it. They were were nearing the part of repentance in that cycle. And they saw that, yeah, we did do some things that were wrong. We did what God told us not to do. And we weren't doing the things that God did tell us to do. They said... Well God's not being fair. Ezekiel thirty three, starting verse fourteen, they you know, God said, if I say to a wicked person, you'll surely die. But then they turn away from their sin and they do what is right and just. If they give back what they had took and pledged for a loan, if they return what they have stolen, if they follow the decrees that give life and they, they choose not to do evil, then that person's gonna live. They're not gonna die none of the sins of that person, all the things that they have committed will be remembered against them. They have done what is just and right and they will surely live. Isn't that awesome about our God? This is Old Testament, but it's the New Testament gospel being preached in it. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't matter how many years you have wasted in sin. If you choose at any point to turn back to God, then it's all forgiven. It is all forgotten about. You're, you get a clean slate. You're no longer headed to death. You're now on the path to life. You're now on the, the path of righteousness. It doesn't matter who you've been and what decisions you've made. That's good news. And that's what God was preaching here in the Old Testament through Ezekiel. But God said this in verse 17. Yet your people say. This, this is what. And <laughs> I like this. God no longer says my people. He says to Ezekiel what your people say is the way of the Lord is not just. But it is their way that's not just. If a righteous person turns from their righteousness, and they do evil, they're going to die for it. We'll talk about once saved, always saved. It's, it's, I don't see that message in the, in the Word of God. You can live a righteous life for decades and decades. But if you choose to, to go your own way and walk away from the Lord... Well, you just went from the path of righteousness to the path of hell, right? I mean, think about this in, in natural terms. I could be faithful to my wife for 50 years, you know? Faithful, always provide for her, take care of her, pro- you know, do all, everything right. Well, for one year, I choose to go start another relationship with another woman, right? Is that okay? Some of you are wondering, well, I don't know, Well, maybe if—no, <laughs> it's not Okay! And that's what the people were doing. They were cheating on God. Sure, they'd been faithful for all these years, but that means nothing if you choose to walk away from it and start doing what's wrong. Guess what? You're going to suffer the consequences. All of your good doesn't just wipe away the bad that you're doing now, right? It's not how it works. And the people were saying that that's how it ought to work. That's how God's people were viewing this. They're saying God's not just. That's not right. If a righteous person lives all those years and, and, yeah, they screw up and they do evil, then they shouldn't have to die for it. And God said they should. In verse 19 it says, um, And if a wicked person turns away from their wickedness and does what um, they will live by doing so. I already said that. Sorry. Yet yeah, you Israelites say, in verse 20, You Israelites say the way of the Lord is not just. God says this, but I will judge each of you according to your own ways. Because God is just. And when he administers justice, it is just. I mean, he's good. He's perfect. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. And the thing is, even if you're that person and you lived life right for all those years but you started dabbling across that boundary, that moral boundary, you started sinning against God, you started missing it in life. If you choose to repent, he'll take you back. But you can't stand on the other side of the boundary and say, well, this fence isn't fair. This isn't right. I ought to be on this side of it. Cause I was, I, I lived inside of that, that boundary all my life. I deserve a year out here. You know, that's what the people were saying to God. And God's like, do, do you understand what you're saying? This is the boundary of my refuge and my safety and my protection and my cover. This is blessing and abundance of life. And you're out there in Death Valley telling me I'm not just. Just come on back and you'll see, right? I mean, that's, that's what was happening to God's people. and That was a message that Ezekiel was preaching to them. Because that cow that I came across, right, that was, it was fenced into this, I don't know if you can see, or to the left. Look at that boundary. There's trees. There's a creek. There's all of this, the grass on the inside and outside of that fence, they don't look all that different to me. That cow had it good. There were shade trees and an abundance of water, even in a season of drought. I mean that cow had it good. Why did it leave that? For that little strip of grass right by the road that going to die on, you know? that's God's perspective toward us when we say he's not fair and he's not just. Come on, like, what are you thinking? Why did you leave all of that for that little? Because isn't that what sin is? It fulfills us temporarily. It it, it does what it promises in the short term. And it hides the long-term death that sin always brings. Sin always leads to death. Now, did that cow die that day? No. Did she go out the next morning and die? Who knows? But at some point, it's not going to go well for her, right? At some point, she's going to get hurt. Why do we live that way as believers? Why are we like that stubborn Bone headed, hard headed cow, you know? Why are we like that? God's people felt that way that she did, right? And, And God said this in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 18 through 19. He said, Is it not enough for you to feed on a good pasture? Must you also go and trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Like, you've got it good why are you muddying it up and destroying it and he goes on and he says is it not enough for you to drink the the clear water flowing must you also walk in it and muddy it up with your feet must my flock feed on what is trampled and drink from what is muddied with their own feet why are you doing it God gave you a good life, an abundant life. He gave you all these blessings. Why do we got to muddy it up and muck it up and mud it up? Why do we have to do that? I don't know. I don't know. And that's what God was asking. He was trying to be reasonable with his people. And, uh, and he wanted to have that conversation with them. And so think about that. When God brings us into disciplines of, or seasons of discipline, God does it and he, will certainly, um, and he will certainly do it if we're his children, right? If we're legitimate children of God, we certainly will go through seasons of discipline. We're all going to go through them. It's going to happen. But when God does this, the only reason is to break up the hardness of our hearts. God wants to use it for good. God wants to use it to bring us back to where we ought to be. When the season of tearing us up and breaking us down is over, because that's what discipline does, let's be honest, it doesn't do it to our spirit, it does it to our flesh. It it, it helps kill and crucify that flesh. It breaks it down and it tears it up. While God is doing that, if we choose to repent, God will bring us into another season of building us up. We get to choose how long of a season God plows us (laughs) As soon as we choose to repent, God stops plowing, the hardness is broken, He starts planting. Now that doesn't mean that you turn into a lush field overnight, does it? No, but God starts the process of turning our lives into good soil. And he starts planting things into our life. He starts healing and restoring us. And in fact, God promised over and over and over again in Ezekiel that he would remove their hard hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That he would place inside of them his Holy Spirit. Old Testament Ezekiel, the promise of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That he would do that if their people just chose to repent. And and God said in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 9, you know, coming to the end of Ezekiel, he said, I'm concerned for you. And I'm going to look on you with favor. Now this is while they were still in their stubborn hard-headed, we did nothing wrong, you're unjust and you're unfair season. They had not repented yet and then, but God said, I've got compassion toward you. It is killing me what is happening right now and I'm going to choose to look on you with favor. He said, you will be plowed and sown. And it's not only out of compassion for us. God also will heal us and restore us because especially if we go out there in the world and we tell people we're Christians, we call ourselves by the name of Christ, God said this in Ezekiel 36 verse 22. He said, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. It's for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations. Because that's what happens. You may not be out there cursing God, but if you're saying I'm a Christian and you're all over that boundary, living the way that you want to, dabbling in sin all the time, you're profaning the name of God. You're telling people something that he is a way that he's not. Right? You're misrepresenting him. And that's what the people were doing. Because people started making fun of this God. That mighty God who had delivered and protected Israel and Judah for all those years. Look at him now. Where is he now? Heck They walked right into his temple, the place where even the priests were not allowed, and they stole everything. They're like, how great is this God when he lets us do this, his temple that represents his presence, right? They were profaning the name of God, and so God said, I'm going to start defending my name. He said, then the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. God wasn't even going to neglect and forsake his people, because he promised never to do that, right? God was going to choose, in their stubborn, hard-hearted, hard-headed condition, God was going to prove to the nations how great he was through those people. He was going to restore those people. He was going to bring them in from the north, east, south, and west. He was going to restore Jerusalem. He was going to rebuild the temple. He was going to do all those things for his name's sake. Because he's tired of his name getting drugged through the mud. Tired of his name being profaned. And so he was going to restore that people. So that his name would be great and feared once again. So God may discipline us. But he will also choose to rebuild and restore us. As he did for Jerusalem. He did for his people. But the question is are we going to choose? If we choose to repent. Man that season comes to an end fast. If we just say I'm wrong and God you're right. Even when you disagree with him he will restore us. If we come running back to him, running back under his covering, his refuge and his strength, if we allow him to be our refuge, he will say this of us in Ezekiel 36, 35. Ezekiel 36, 35 says this, then they will say, that's all these people who are profaning the name of God. After he restores us, it says, then they will say, this land was laid waste and has become like the Garden of Eden, The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, they are now fortified and inhabited. God can do that in your life. You may have come in here wasted this morning, literally. God can restore your life. God can rebuild you and reward you. He can take your life and hold it up as an example of what he can do through a life to bring healing and restoration and forgiveness. He can bring abundance and life no matter where we may find ourselves. He is able to turn that around when we choose just to trust in him, just to to let our lives in his hands. Ezekiel started out with a message of doom and gloom to bring God's people to repentance, but that is not the whole message of Ezekiel. Ezekiel ended on a message of hope and restoration that God would be a refuge for his people once again. Yes, he calls us to repent. Yes, he calls us out on our sin. That's the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is that there is hope. He's not going to leave you there. He's going to restore you and reward you and bless you. God spoke through Ezekiel this promise to the same people. In Ezekiel, um, same people, Ezekiel 34 verses 26 to 28. God said, I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. And praise God for doing that here last night, right? There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit. And the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. And when I rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations. Nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety. And no one will be able to make them afraid. There is hope. That promise of God to the nation of Israel is God's promise to you. He will make your life great. You will bear fruits in and out of season. You will never never fail to bear the fruits of the Spirit. And, And nothing can make you afraid. Because what can someone do to you? Take your life Even then you win. Even then you have the victory, right? There is nothing that can get us down. There is nothing that can stop us. You are an unstoppable force when you're on the right side of that boundary. You've got the refuge and the protection of your God. Ezekiel started with doom and gloom, with the destruction of Israel, but he ended with the glorious rebuilding of Jerusalem. That the later temple would be even greater than the former temple. He is calling us from glory to glory. Even in the middle of your sin and condemnation, he's still calling you out of it into glory. And that's hope. That's what gives us hope because God has a better plan for our lives. And in fact, at one point, and this is where I'm gonna end here, God showed us that this, well, he showed Ezekiel and we're getting to see it because it's recorded. God took Ezekiel in the spirit and he showed him this valley full of dry bones. You've heard about it, Right? God told Ezekiel to prophesy to them. And they not only came back to life, all the tendons and ligaments and everything, they joined back together, flesh came on them, right? They not only came back to life, they rose up to become a great army of God. And that's what God can do for our lives as well. It doesn't matter how hopeless you may feel. It doesn't matter how... You know how far you may have wandered across that moral boundary from God. It doesn't matter where you're at, God is able to restore you, to rebuild you. He is able to give you hope, He is able to bring you back to life. No matter how dead you may be feeling right now. No matter how dry this season may feel. God is able to send his showers of blessing. To rejuvenate you. And to bring you back to life once again. God said in Ezekiel 37 verses 11 to 14. He says son of man. Because through the whole conversation, Ezekiel's like, I don't know if these things can live. Only you know, God. Like, he had doubts. He had uncertainties. And you may have doubts and uncertainties, too. But when we trust the word of the Lord, the promise of the Lord, over our doubts and through our dryness of spirit, man, does he bring that refreshing. God said in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11 to 14, that that valley of dry bones was this. He said, son of man, these bones are God's people, my own people. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We've been cut off. And you may feel that way in some area of your life right now. You may have given up hope in some area. You may have given up on God, just feeling like you've just been cut off. Because maybe you sinned in that area. Maybe you're like me, and you just thought, I'm just getting what I deserve. Why hope for God to bring that to an end? But he's reminding us to hope again. Even in your sin and rebellion, you can put your hope in him, and he will forgive and restore that's where God's people were. They, were. they were like those that valley of dry bones. Their bones are dried up. Their hope is gone. They're cut off. And verse 12, God says this, Therefore prophesy and say to them, And you are a nation of prophets. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the gift of prophecy. You have the ability to share good news with people around you. You have the ability to encourage people and to build them up. You've got good news to share. You have a hope within you that you get to share to everyone you meet. Prophesy and say to them, this is what God says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up out from them. How awesome is that, right? Because we have this reminder, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, where does he dwell right now? Yes! And see, he it, it, it lives in me. That same spirit that was able to pull back the stone and set Jesus free from death, that same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave, he lives in you. He lives in me. I've got that same power, that same authority. I've got that same anointing to speak good news to people who are in hopeless situations. I can speak the word of the Lord and see things change. I can see a whole valley of dry bones with no hope rise up to life and become a mighty army. I can do that. Why? Because of the spirit of the Lord that's living in you. If that same spirit can raise Jesus from the grave, how much more can he open the graves of living people and set them free and give them life and give them blessings that swallow up their curses, right? And it doesn't even matter if they're in the condition they're in because of their state of sin. We were all there at one point, right? We were all there, but somebody cared about us enough to share some good news with us. That if we just put our trust in Jesus. He will save us. He'll heal us. He'll restore us. He'll redeem us. He'll do all these awesome, wonderful things for us. And hasn't he been faithful to do it? Amen. He's been faithful. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to open up your graves and I'm going to bring you out from them. I will bring you back to a good and abundant land. Then you will be my people and you will know that i alone am the lord when i open up your graves and bring you up from them i will put my spirit in you and this is capital s person of the holy spirit in the old testament in ezekiel i will put my spirit in you and you will truly live i will settle you in your own land god has put you where you're at in life on purpose You were born in this time of history. You were placed in the circle of friends that you have. You were placed in the family that you are in on purpose and for a purpose. God has placed you in that land, filled you with his Holy Spirit, given you life. He says, now prophesy. Now tell them something good. So if you just despise your family, can't stand them, and you don't like getting together, man, you know, a lot of us are there think about it. God placed you there for a reason. Speak some life. Speak some hope. He said, I put my spirit in you, and you're going to live, and I'm going to settle you in your own land, in your own sphere of influence. (coughs) Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. And so this morning, it's time to turn back to God. And I'm not just talking to you if you're unsaved or if you've wandered away from the Lord altogether. Every single one of us sitting here this morning has an area of our lives that are like that cow on the other side of the fence. And we need to get ourselves back into the refuge of God. We need to sometimes prophesy to ourselves the way that David did. Why are you so downcast within me? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so discouraged? Put your hope in the Lord and he will save you. Sometimes you've got to preach and prophesy to yourself, right? But watch what the Lord will do to bring life and to bring in abundance, and to send those showers of blessing and refreshing. When we choose to get back under the refuge and the covering of God, when we choose to put our hope in the Lord again, even in our areas of sin where we're missing it in life, even when we're not doing what God called us to do, or we're doing things that we know He commanded us not to, right? Both are sin. But when we choose to repent and to come back to God in that area of our lives, watch what he can do. Watch what he can do. We're just that one step away, one step away from the grave to an abundant life. If we just choose to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, because sometimes that hope and that refuge and that abundant blessing, it's Just being hindered by our choice to lament and complain and whine and excuse it away. And we do all these things, right? And what were we called to do? Did God ever call any of his people to whine and complain and lament and to grumble ever? What does he call us to do? Prophesy, speak some life. Speak some hope. Speak some courage, right? That's what he always calls his people to do. Sometimes our blessing is that close. It's just us choosing to repent, choosing to stop our grumbling and whining, and to start speaking life and hope into that area of our lives. You may not see it. Guess what? That's why you need faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. You may not see it. You may not even see a way for it to happen. But guess who God is? God is our way maker, right? He makes a way where there is no other way. I mean, look at Jesus and what he's accomplished. There's a reason that cross is empty up here, right? He's not there anymore. He made a way for us to be saved, to be healed, to be set free, to be a person who he created us to be, even when we don't see it in ourselves. He he made a way for us to do that. And sometimes all that we need to do is choose to walk out the door of our pity party and start prophesying to ourselves the promises of God and the Word of God, right? Because the pity party's over. It's time to repent. It's time to start speaking to these dry, rattling bones to live again. And so we're going to end with worship. We're going to end with praise. We're, I want to encourage you, if you've never heard this song before, that's okay. Just just, just, just start speaking to yourself to come up out of that grave To let these bones rattle and come again to life. I'm sure that the Lord right now is bringing to mind that area of your life. Maybe it's a person that you gave up hope on, that you don't pray for anymore, that you don't reach out to anymore. Maybe it's just a promise of God in your life that you're like, maybe this is just the lot that God has for me. This is the way my life has to be. Maybe it's an area of healing that you've been struggling. You know, I know myself with diabetes, right? You know, as my pump was yelling at me earlier. Man, I've been waiting for... I don't like this. I am now in a state where I've lived with diabetes longer than I lived without it, right? 18 years with it, 17 years without it. I'm like, Lord, enough's enough, you know? Let's bring this to an end. Whatever it is in your life, it's time to hope again. It's time to believe again. It's time to carry that thing to God and leave it there, believing that he's going to speak to those dry bones and they're going to come to life. That he's going to transform your circumstances and your condition so that it comes into alignment with the promises and the truth of God. Because his truth always trumps our facts, don't they? I may have diabetes, yet God's truth says, I am healed. So we're going to just turn this morning to the Lord. And we're just going to believe that that these dry bones are going to start rattling, that we're going to come to life, that today is the day when change starts to happen. And we're not going to give up on the Lord this afternoon. We're not going to give up on the Lord next week, next month, next year. Things are starting to happen now. The season of plowing has come to an end. We're going to trust that the Lord has begun to heal and restore and to plant in our life. And we're going to trust Him to grow it so that it bears fruit at just the right season. We're going to tell ourselves that we are that mighty oak tree that that bears fruit in and out of season. We're going to believe it even when we don't feel it. We're going to declare it even when we don't see it. We're going to walk by faith and not by these eyes that— How many of us have glasses here this morning? Why in the world would you trust your own eyesight? I think 90% of us have glasses. If I take them off, you're all really fuzzy and weird looking. Oh, now you're the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Right? why trust our sight? Trust in the Lord. Put our hope in the Lord. Look what he's going to do. So if you'll just rise with me this morning and just enter in and start believing and hoping and trusting once again. The altars are open. The aisles are open. You just, whatever you feel you need to do to put your hope and your trust in the Lord once again. To show him Lord, today's the day. Today's the day of your salvation. And tomorrow when you wake up, today's the day of your salvation. Your love is new. Your hope is new. Just keep stirring yourself back up. Keep fanning into flame, that, that, that truth of God through the Holy Spirit that's in you, that, that until you see it happen, and until you testify that this is what the Lord has done to me, and then you get to do it all over again, because there's another part of your life that needs it, right? This is life in the Spirit, and it's good, isn't it? Let's believe in hope once again.